Hey everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we have Melissa with us, who is passionate about empowering all women to take control of their health and have freaking control over their bodies. Yes. So Melissa, go ahead and introduce yourself just a bit. Hi, I'm Melissa Groves Azero. You probably know me better as the hormone dietitian. I use a root cause approach to help you identify and address the root causes of hormone imbalances, primarily with PCOS, but also people who are struggling with fertility, as well as other hormone imbalances like fibroids and endometriosis and PMS. So that's all kind of my wheelhouse. And I am a registered dietitian like these ladies as well. Love it. So let's start off with PCOS because that to me seems to be the buzzword of 2022 Mm -hmm. and going into 2023. I have personally had a lot of potential clients say, Hey, you know, I have PCOS. So what is that? What does that, those letters stand for? Yeah, PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, And it's actually a really complicated uh, hormonal condition, but also metabolic condition. So it really affects almost every system in the body. And I think, you know, there has been an increase in awareness, which is great because more people are, you know, getting checked out for it and getting diagnosed with it. Because once you have that diagnosis, then we know what we're dealing with. Um, But it affects about 10 to 20% of women. Uh, Typically, it's diagnosed using um, the Rotterdam criteria. And so in order to be diagnosed with PCOS, you have to have two of the following three. Uh, Number one is irregular cycles, which means more than 35 days between periods or a total lack of cycles or ovulation. You may be getting regular cycles, but you're not ovulating. The second one is high androgen levels or those male hormones, the stereotypical male hormones that help us develop male characteristics. Um, And with women, when androgens are high, you're gonna see things like oily skin, acne on your jawline and your back. You're going to see male pattern hair loss. So like that typical male balding pattern um, or hirsutism, which is excess hair growth on the face Mm -hmm. of the body. The third criteria is the polycystic ovaries. And for a PCOS diagnosis, you need more than 12 follicles in each ovary. The name isn't quite accurate because it's not ovarian cysts. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we think of ovarian cysts as those painful cysts that burst and were crippled over and you end up in the emergency room because of the pain. That's not this. What this is, is immature egg follicles that haven't ovulated. So like if you're paying attention and you only need two of the three, you could have PCOS with, without having polycystic ovaries, or you could have PCOS and have regular cycles. It's really any combination of those three things. Some people do have all three. Some people just have two of the three. Um, so that's why there's like kind of a little bit of confusion about what it actually is. 
That is interesting. Wow. I never knew all of that. Hmm. Not, neither did I. Neither did I. Yeah, because you know, when, <laughs> when I think of uh, PCOS, I, I normally tend to default and think of a person, you said two out of three, that's extremely hairy. But then when you mentioned the hair loss, I've had a lot of women say, oh, you know, I have a little alopecia going on in the middle. Mm-hmm. not realizing oh it's more of that male pattern baldness so that's interesting yeah as opposed to I always try to clarify that because you know hair loss can happen for so many reasons I think sort of that overall hair shedding or hair thinning that we see postpartum or you know with low thyroid um, that's different from that very specific like top of the head and the um, sides of the temples male pattern hair loss Wow. I never, I've never heard of that um, before. I, I always, like Kim, always associated with the lots of extra hair. So people who complain of that and um, the multiple cysts, never male baldness. So uh, mamas like myself who just had a baby, like we had the loss of the edges. So that's not it, ladies. That's yeah, the, that's- We're looking for the middle of the hair. Yeah. And that's totally normal that like, you know, it's basically withdrawal from those super Mm -hmm. high estrogen progesterone levels during pregnancy. And that goes away and all your, your hair Mm -hmm. goes into like resting phase. Um, you should talk to feeding the root. She's great. She's yeah. I know her. I know. Yeah. Samaria. Um, She, she's got so much info on like hair growth cycle. Yeah. She is awesome. She is absolutely awesome. Um, so, you know, people don't realize that there are different types of PCOS. I think people kind of group them into like one, but you have PCOS and that's it. So can you go into the different types, how many there are? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, first of all, every case of PCOS is different. Um, we have different root causes, different severity of root causes. You know, there's there's sort of a spectrum of where you are. I do want to kind of bust the myth that you see on social media that there are four types of PCOS. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually did an entire podcast episode on this, um, which is our PCOS types BS. Um, And, you know, the bottom line is they they kind of are. Um, So what you'll see, you'll hear about insulin resistance, inflammatory PCOS, adrenal PCOS, and post-pill PCOS. This is a Mm -hmm. enormous oversimplification. Um, Up to 95% of people with PCOS have insulin resistance. So that's pretty much almost across the board. I always say, we're going to treat you like you're insulin resistant until we prove otherwise, you know? Mm Like we're going to treat you. Um, a large majority have inflammation. Adrenal dysfunction is really common, especially in lean PCOS. So people who aren't struggling with weight. Post-pill PCOS, I don't think it's a real thing. Um, <laughs> so what happens is, you know, going off the pill, we can see a temporary increase in the number of follicles in the in the ovaries. So if you were to look, you know, in that three, six month window after going off the pill, you might have more follicles than before. On the other hand, I think, you know, like a lot of us, you know, we went on the pill at 18, um, 
you know, for whatever reason. Um, and now in, you know, our thirties going off the pill, wanting a more natural approach. Um, and what's happening is they're going off the pill and they're not getting their periods or these symptoms are starting to pop up. And what happens is the pill is kind of masking those symptoms all this time. So I always ask people like, why did you go on the pill? if it was for any reason other than contraceptive, you know, a lot of times doctors will put teens on the pill because they have acne or because they have irregular cycles or because they have heavy bleeding. And so the pill is kind of masking these symptoms. So when you go off the pill, that all comes whooshing back. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. So what's actually legit when we're talking about PCOS types is the NIH phenotypes. Um, so those are, and we don't hear about these on social media, um, type A, B, C, and D. And type A has all three of those characteristics. So they have the high androgens, they have the irregular periods, and they have the polycystic ovaries. Type D has irregular periods and polycystic ovaries, but they don't have high androgens. So it's really kind of a spectrum from worst to least severe, um, and they have sort of different characteristics um, amongst them. So that's how, how, you know, if you ask your doctor what type of PCOS I have, this is what they're going to point you towards. They're not going to, you know, look at your root causes. Oh, so is that... Is that why Kiki Palmer came out like last year? That's the yeah, types yeah. that you're talking about. Because yeah. I remember speaking to your body, you're like, yeah, she's lean. Um, so a lot of people are telling her, yeah, go gluten-free, go dairy-free. And you're like, ah, nah. Probably not. Probably not. With the lean folks, they tend to be more adrenal involvement and more um, reproductive uh, effects versus the metabolic. So like you know, they're more inclined to have difficulty conceiving, um, but less likely to struggle with things like type two diabetes down the road. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. My mind is blown. <laughs> you need to reach out to Kiki Palmer, Melissa, and see if you can help her. I, I love Kiki. I'm such a Kiki fan. I know. I know. That's so neat. So let's talk about like the misdiagnosis. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I recently had a client and on my screening forms, I always ask, do you have PCOS? I don't see PCOS. I refer everyone out to be honest to you because I know nothing about that. But this client of mine, you know, speaking to her one-on-one, -on -one, she said she didn't have PCOS, but that's an avenue that she wants to look into because mm -hmm. she feels that she's being misdiagnosed. So what are some of the common misdiagnosis that you have heard with people that actually have PCOS? Yeah, it kind of can go both ways. Um, you know, I've been seeing overdiagnosis as PCOS and underdiagnosis. Um, so some of the things, you know, to be diagnosed with PCOS, um, you know, talked about those three criteria and you have to meet two out of the three. You also have to rule out all of the other things that can look like PCOS. So, you know, other conditions that can cause irregular cycles. Um, I'm always thinking, you know, I would say probably the most common things are things like hypothyroidism, you know, very, very common, um, you know, and especially if it's sort of a subclinical hypothyroid, your, your thyroid's just not 
making optimal thyroid hormone to get your body ovulating regularly, that's one thing. Um, another pretty common one is pituitary dysfunction. So like benign pituitary growth or high prolactin levels can block ovulation from happening. Um, I think it's really easy. I had a client myself who, you know, was overweight. She, um, her whole family, family history of diabetes, you know, both sides, uh, wasn't getting regular cycles, um, went to, you know, expensive fertility clinic and they diagnosed her with PCOS basically by looking at her and, you know, just not really doing any of that deeper digging. I want to look at things like LH and FSH levels to see, you know, is this hypothalamic amenorrhea? Are you not eating enough? Um, mm -hmm. what's going on here? There's some, a more uh, rare condition, but I have seen it pop up a couple of times, um, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, where you can make high androgens, but it's actually an adrenal disorder and not PCOS. So yeah, you want to make sure all that is ruled out um, before you get a PCOS diagnosis. Wow, you, 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 uh, I'm saying you are taking notes, so that's why you I know. Um, when you mentioned pituitary issues. Mm -hmm. uh, Joanne's known this, but a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with having just an overactive pituitary gland. Um, and my prolactin is very high. And I remember one of the doctors saying, oh, you may have PCOS, but now that you say that, I'm like, you didn't rule out. You didn't right. rule out. Yeah, well, I know, I know Joanne use it, works a lot with, you know, new mamas and fourth tri trimester, you know, like when your prolactin's high, when you're breastfeeding, your periods don't come back because that prolactin's telling your brain not to tell your ovaries to ovulate. So mm -hmm. it, it's all communicating in there. Yeah, you're answering a lot of questions for me personally. <laughs> Things you didn't know, Kim, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I want us to be clear about the symptoms because I feel like oftentimes, you know, we have symptoms that are occurring and we don't know. And we just, based on what we see on social media, we self-diagnose and we want to say, oh, maybe this is PCOS because I saw something that the hormone dietitian posted and I think I may have PCOS now. So let's be clear on those symptoms. What are the symptoms that would indicate that someone should go and have their doctor look into or rule out PCOS? Yeah, so the most common symptoms gonna be those irregular cycles. So, um, and it's the long end of the spectrum. So if you're getting periods every two weeks, that is very unlikely to be PCOS. That's likely something else. If your periods are longer than 35 days between them, so you're only getting, eight periods a year or less, um, that's more indicative of PCOS. Or let's say, you know, you're having 30, 60, 90 day cycles. Um, and let's say, you know, you're trying to get pregnant. So you start trying to track your ovulation and you're realizing you're not ovulating, you know, you're not getting a temperature spike that's sustained, or you're taking those ovulation tests and they always look almost positive, but not, you're never getting like a real positive. That can be an indication. And that's really probably the most common symptom that I see. Um, many of the symptoms that we see with PCOS are going back to those root causes. So they're going back to the high insulin levels or the high androgen levels. So 
with insulin, we're going to see similar symptoms as, as the folks you work with, Kim, we're going to see, you know, pre-diabetes type two diabetes, like symptoms like cravings for sugar, carbs, fatigue after eating, uh, difficulty losing weight, um, tendency to gain weight in the belly area. Um, the acanthosis nigricans is pretty common and people don't really know that that's a sign of insulin resistance. They just see the dark skin on their neck or their armpits. Um, skin tags, that sort of thing that we're seeing from the high blood sugar that's, that's continuing to rise. Um, with the high androgens, we're going to see things like oily skin, acne, not just on your face, but like back knee, um, for sure can, can be a sign of high androgens, um, male pattern, hair loss, uh, hirsutism or excess hair on the face and the body. And then high insulin levels actually tell the ovaries to make more testosterone. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. I do want to mention one symptom that is not a symptom of, or two symptoms that are not a symptom of PCOS, um, continuous bleeding. So if you're bleeding every day for months and months and months, not a symptom of PCOS that absolutely needs to get checked out. Um, the other thing is pain. Pain is not a symptom of PCOS. So you're having really painful periods or you're having pain outside of your cycles, you know, just because you have PCOS doesn't mean you don't also have something like fibroids or endometriosis or something that can cause pain. So you want to make sure that, that all, everything you're dealing with has been identified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, with someone like myself, when you were speaking on earlier about the prolactin, like I typically don't see a period until uh, a year postpartum. This time around, I'm seeing my period. I saw my period six months, and then 50 or 60 days later, I saw it again, which is not typical for me. I'm usually around the 28, 30 day mark. So, what would you say, um, recommend if someone thinks they have PCOS, should they wait until after their postpartum journey before they go in? Based on what you just explained in regards to symptoms when it comes to your period being longer. Yeah, postpartum symptoms, um, you know, everybody is different in terms of how long it takes a cycle to get back. I'd also want to know your age, like things start get getting kind of wonky after after a certain age, which might be different than your earlier pregnancies when you were a bit younger. Um, you know, I think if you're having symptoms that that can't be explained, you definitely want to go get checked up. I think, you know, we don't do enough postpartum check-ins on mom, um, mm -hmm. here sure. for sure. You know, it's all about how's baby growing. How's this? Um, and I will say that pregnancy is a huge time of hormonal shifts, obviously. So, um, things can, um, get a little funky, um, during that, um, thyroid, it's like one of the most common triggers for, for thyroid issues. So, always want to get your thyroid looked at pretty, pretty shortly after delivering. If you're having any symptoms, you're questionable about, um, in terms of hormone testing, like I don't recommend hormone testing until, uh, you are done exclusively breastfeeding until you're at that point where your cycles are starting to come back again. That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm just mind blown. I'm like, okay, look at Melissa preparing me for, you know, possibly carrying children in the future. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. 
So I know you're into functional medicine and a lot of people have questions. I feel like a lot of people are taking their health into their own hands because they feel like healthcare providers are not listening to them. And I've had a lot of people ask me about herbs and I'm like, I am not the one. I am not the one. So how do you feel that herbs and diet, like what role does that play in the management of PCOS? Yeah. So I think, you know, we all want that that sexy solution, that like easy button solution where we're going to take this thing and everything's going to be magically better, right? Um, And I think there's sort of a little bit of a misconception about functional medicine being just supplements and just herbs. And it's really not. It's it's based on the the foundations of of a healthy lifestyle. So, you know, we got to be eating a blood sugar balancing diet. We got to be increasing fiber. We got to be increasing protein. We've got to be mindful of our carb portions and quality of carbs that we're consuming. Um, and we've got to look at anti-inflammatory lifestyle, you know, quit smoke, smoking, don't smoke. That's, you know, inflammatory sedentary lifestyle that is inflammatory. It's almost as bad for you as smoking, um, increasing all of those darkly colored fruits and vegetables that are high in those anti-inflammatory antioxidants, omega-3 fatty acids. You know, we've got nutrition dialed in. It's got to be gut supporting. We've got to be eating soluble, insoluble fiber, prebiotics, probiotics. Like we've got to feed that good gut microbiome. Um, We know the gut microbiome in PCOS is different than people without PCOS. So, you know, it's, it's, pretty important. Um, And then we start to address the hormone stuff, but we can't address the hormone stuff until all of those foundational pieces are in place. And that's just nutrition, you know, and you know, there's so many other things that affect our health besides what we're eating. We've got to be sleeping. We've got to be managing our stress. We've got to be moving our bodies daily and sweating and, you know, clearing our toxins properly. We've got to be pooping every day. Like there's so many like basic foundations of health. Once we've got all those dialed in, then we can start to look at, you know, maybe adding the little, I consider supplements like the icing on the cake, you know, it's like, you know, especially with the adrenal stuff. So a lot of times, you know, you'll tell someone you need to manage your stress, you need to meditate, you need to do yoga, you need, and they're like, yeah, right, like, no. So like, sometimes <laughs> like, like a little bit of ashwagandha or something to like, get you into that more chill place where you're able to incorporate some of these recommendations. Um, Reishi is another great one for PCOS um, Mm. because it it helps lower androgens, helps chill you out a bit. Um, You know, and with hormones too, um, we've got, you know, the blood sugar balancing part, we've got inositol, we've got berberine, we've got magnesium, we've got NAC, we've got a ton of things that we could choose from, but none of these things are going to counteract a poor diet and lifestyle. So, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk about that all the time because I'm like, are you doing the basics? Because mm-hmm. people will say, well, Joanne, what do I do for better gut health? How do I, you know, what, what supplements should I take? And I'm like, but let's talk about the basics first. Are you even doing the basics? Because if you're not doing the basics, how do we know where you're at? Right. Are you chewing your food? That's where we start for gut health. Like, are you sitting down and chewing your meal? Um, You know, and I I have people who are like, maybe I should try giving up grains because I always see my grains in my, and I'm like, 
maybe you should try chewing your grains before we <laughs> right. try giving them up, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is hilarious. I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, starting with the basics, because I feel it's, you know, we want like a quick fix, a quick pill. That's who we are. Pretty, something sexy, as you mentioned earlier. And the herbs are just really the icing on the top. You really have to evaluate the lifestyle that we're living. Are you high stress? You need to set some boundaries. And that, you know, that's what I tell people too, when it comes to better blood sugar management, food is only one of so many different factors. Like, are you setting your boundaries? If you're not, look, I can't, I can't set boundaries for you. So you're absolutely right. I, but I'm glad that you did mention that ashwagandha though. Cause look, if I don't take my ashwagandha, Kim is strong out. So that ashwagandha definitely does help. I, um, I love that you mentioned the boundaries too, because that's often the missing key. You know, when I'm talking to someone, they're like, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to grocery shop. I don't have time to meal prep. How much time are you spending scrolling social media? How many people are you saying yes to that you shouldn't be? You have to like figure, and I can't figure it out for you. You have to figure out what your non-negotiables are. My non-negotiable is I am in bed by 10 PM, you know, like that's period, end of story. And then it's on me to like, back up my, okay, well, if I need to go to bed at 10, then I need to be having dinner by eight, which means I need to stop work by six. Like, you know, it's on you to figure out what you need to do to be in your optimum health. Absolutely. And, you know, as a mom, for me, I, you know, the last three years, I guess you could say, I've pretty much been home because that's what the pandemic um, resulted in for my family is me being home and being a work at home, stay at home mom. Is that what the term is? I can't call it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I recently was speaking to my doctor and she said, you know, you know, Joanne, I know, you know, you're doing everything you're, you need to be doing on the part that I know, because I go through my postpartum journey of getting everything back to balance and normal, working out, eating well. And she said, you know, how much time do you have to yourself every week? I said, well, you know, um, I work out about, you know, an hour. And she's like, well, during that hour, are you really alone? Truthfully, I'm not because I'm working out at home. People are knocking on my door, mommy, mommy, mommy. So I'm really not alone. And, and I, you know, I was like, well, I get my nails done once a month. Um, and I get my lashes done once a month. She said, Joanne, that's not enough. You need every week, you need to put out some time for you alone, for your mental health, no kid time. And I I was lost, guys. I didn't know what to do. I went out the first week and I walked the malls and my husband was like, I don't even know why you went by yourself because you know you're not a go take yourself to dinner kind of person. I really am not. So now I have to like actively plan. Last week I planned with one of my, my, my best friend. I planned with her and we went out to eat. So I have to actively plan. And I think a lot of times setting those boundaries, we think it's something that we'll just get to do, but you have to be actively setting your boundaries and actively putting time out for yourself. So um, Melissa, you know, on social media, you see this all the time, I'm sure, because I know I do. People are always gluten-free and dairy-free fixes everything. Mm-hmm. If you get an A, gluten-free, dairy-free is going to fix it. <laughs> Let's talk about that in regards to PCOS. Does going gluten-free and dairy-free automatically fix it all? No. 
Um, no, there's, you know, there's literally no evidence. Um, you know, we're always looking at emerging research and where there might be a little bit of good evidence that might make something worth trying. There's literally zero studies um, in any way, positive or negative, showing that it's necessary or beneficial to cut out gluten or dairy for most people. And for most people, avoiding these foods is too much of a hardship. Um, and it, you know, depending on where you live, if you live in LA or you live in New York City, it's probably not that difficult. But if you don't live in a metropolitan area, it's pretty hard to eat that way consistently. And this mm -hmm. leads to a decrease in nutrients. I'm sure you have seen the research. Um, mm -hmm. There was that study that came out I want to say recently, but you know, the last two years are such a blur two <laughs> years ago um, that showed that eating a gluten-free diet um, in people who weren't celiac actually increased yeah. risk of diabetes. Yes. Um, and, you know, and that's probably due to the decrease in fiber. I think a lot of people when they hear gluten-free and I know, you know, I know my mother-in-law is like this. She's like, I'm going to go buy all the gluten-free treats, you know, the gluten-free cookies and the gluten-free pasta and the, like, <laughs> No, like we're going to try to focus on foods that are naturally gluten-free. Right. Um, because if you look at, you know, slice for slice, a slice of gluten-free bread is going to have maybe a gram of fiber compared to a slice of whole grain bread where you could be getting mm -hmm. five or six grams of fiber from one mm -hmm. slice of bread. I think um, a lot of people feel better when they give up gluten because, you know, first of all, uh, you're automatically cutting out all of your favorite foods, you know, you're cutting out all of those processed foods immediately, those highly processed foods. Um, and the second part of that is when you're cutting out wheat, you are cutting out fructans. So gluten is protein. Fructans are the carbs that ferment in your gut and cause bloating. So a lot mm -hmm. of times when people say, oh, I feel better, I feel less bloated when I'm not eating gluten, it's the fructans, not the gluten that's mm -hmm. the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, like some people feel better off gluten, um, and it, you know, if you have an autoimmune condition, in addition to PCOS, if you have PCOS and Hashimoto's, then like, maybe we might want to talk about how feasible that is for you. Um, uh, but for most people with PCOS, it is not necessary to avoid gluten. Uh, pretty much same thing with dairy. Um, we, we can't make like a broad sweeping recommendation to avoid dairy just because you have PCOS. Um, I do recommend my one caveat is I do recommend sticking with full fat dairy if you have PCOS, because the hormone balance in the full fat dairy is going to be better for you. And the full fat dairy is the one associated with better fertility outcomes. Um, but again, we have to look at like the person as a whole, you know, depending on your ethnic and cultural background. Uh, you might have issues with lactose. I know my my Southern European folks definitely do. Um, you know, and and when it's a situation like that, you can't tolerate lactose well. Again, you don't necessarily have to throw away the whole category. You know, mm -hmm. some people can tolerate butter just fine. Some people can yeah. tolerate the harder cheeses that don't have lactose in them. Some people can tolerate yogurt because the lactose is partially broken down in in the ferment, uh, fermenting process. So, you know, it's really kind of the dietitian's favorite answer of it depends. Like we can't just, mm -hmm. I, but I've, I've had so, so many people come into my programs feeling really beat up because they're like, 
I tried it. I gave up gluten. I gave up dairy for six months. I saw no difference. Like, and mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's, it's not a magic bullet. Right. I'm glad that and people said. don't like that. We don't know when we say it depends. People don't like that answer. Yeah. At all. They don't, they want us to be able to say, yes, this is a direct link to whatever the condition is. Right. And I, and I also want to counteract that by saying, I am not telling anyone to go out and chug three, four glasses of milk a day, eat, you know, three servings or make gluten at every meal. Like that's not healthy either, but like that little bit of cheese on your taco is not going to make or break your PCOS, you know, or, or go make a whole butter board and (laughs) good one. Good one. I, I love that that you said that, Melissa, because I've been hearing about that a lot. And I've been seeing like all these accounts promoting, um, you know, gluten free and non dairy type of foods when, as you just mentioned, there's so many different phenotypes when it comes to PCOS. And so everyone needs to take their root cause into consideration. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, we're going to talk about another hot topic that is, I think, also booming in 2022, and it's getting more traction. Uh, Let's talk about intermittent fasting. Uh, How does intermittent fasting impact women hormonal health? Like, I've been seeing a lot of women do it, and I'm just like, well, what if you have PCOS? How does that impact everything? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of interest in it because there is some research that intermittent fasting may help with insulin resistance, you know, um, it, it might seem like a no brainer, you know, and I always tell people don't put your brain away just yet, because while it might be lowering insulin temporarily, it's spiking your adrenal hormones, it's spiking mm-hmm. your cortisol, it's spiking your DHEA, it could be causing a worsening in symptoms. Um, also, I feel very strongly about not fasting during our reproductive years. You know, as women, our hormones are so sensitive to scarcity, you know, and scarcity being skipping a meal or going too long without eating, like your brain starts to think, oh, things aren't safe. We might be about to like enter into a war or a famine probably not a good time to reproduce. We're going to shut that whole thing down. And Mm. so, yeah. So what happens is as your stress hormones are rising, your brain is getting the signal that you don't have enough fuel coming in um, and your sex hormones are going down. You know, similarly, intermittent fasting makes us rely on this external schedule. It's like, this is what time you eat. This is what time you stop. And that further disconnects us from our own bodies and our own hunger and fullness signals. And it, you know, can lead to a bad relationship with food and with our bodies. And I think far too many women for far too long have been following these diets, which are external rules about what to eat and when, when our bodies really know what they should be doing, like they really do know inherently what, what we should be doing. Um, also (laughs) I have so much, so many thoughts on intermittent (laughs) fasting. I think most people who are doing it are doing it wrong based on the research that we have. I was going to say that I was going to ask, do you think people are doing it wrong? So most people are skipping breakfast. Um, I can't even tell you the number of my clients who come to me skipping breakfast or just having coffee on the way to the office. And then their first meal of the day is lunch. Like 
if it were going to work, don't you think it, it would have worked by now? Um, I'm much, and we have all the research that, you know, our bodies are better primed to handle carbohydrates earlier in the day. Um, you know, there's just more research aligned with eating the bulk of our calories earlier in the day. And so, you know, I think if you're, if you're going to try to do something like that, like sort of a gentle, I like eating, you know, according to circadian rhythm, you know, start right. eating when the sun goes up, comes up, stop eating when the sun goes down and make that last meal, your lightest meal of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't recommend anyone in the reproductive years go beyond 12 hours, which I don't consider a fast. I just consider that sleeping, Perfect. you know, if you start at 7am, stop at 7pm and then go to sleep. Um, if we're talking about postmenopausal, so hormones are out of the picture, periods are out of the picture. We're not worrying about that. Maybe like, maybe mm-hmm. like if they're not underweight, if they're not undernourished, if their stress is managed, if they're getting enough sleep, they're not over-exercising, their adrenals, their thyroid are in good shape, maybe, but I have yet to meet that woman. Like I've yet to meet her, you know? So um, yeah, so it's a big no for me. You know, I'm sorry. I've been interested in intermittent fasting um, in regards to the backgrounds, like culturally. So we've, we've actually been speaking to someone who we're trying to get on the show to get, um, they're from India. We want to get the cultural aspects of intermittent fasting and find out, um, you know, how they've been doing it over there, the whys that they do it in the house too, because I really am a big believer because here in the United States, we just hear something, we just jump on the bandwagon and we don't really know how to do it. And it's kind of like playing telephone. By the time it gets to the you, it's been changed and flipped and flopped and you're probably most likely not doing it right. So I have had an interest in that because I want to know what is it about intermittent fasting that is good? Is there any good parts? And I think someone with a cultural background would let us know. So, so there's some interesting stuff. So because Muslims fast for Ramadan, we yeah. actually have a very large amount of research on the effects of fasting long-term. So what they see is that cortisol goes up during Ramadan and it takes a few months to return down to baseline levels once you resume normal eating. Um, So we we do have research, you know, because there are many cultures that incorporate fasting. Um, It's not beneficial for health. And I think the other thing, you know, where it gets kind of tangled up in social media is it gets recommended as a weight loss. Right. Um, Study after study after study comes out showing no difference Mm -hmm. in intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting versus just a restricted calorie diet. Um, I do think there's probably, you know, the longevity, the you know, cell cleanup that ha- the autophagy that happens. Like, I, I do think there's some some benefits to incorporating fasting for those reasons, but it's not a weight loss plan. Right, right. I, I like that because honestly, it was like a couple months ago. I said, you know what? Let me try this intermittent fasting thing for 21 days. I honestly did it. But the research I was finding was 10 hour fastings are beneficial mm-hmm. and not 12 hours. So I tried it and people are like, oh, did you lose it? I'm like, I didn't do it to lose weight. I did it to see like, you know, how would it feel? You know, would I be more alert? And to me, it's not, it's just another one of those trends I think people hop on. 
But, you know, most people say, well, Kim, you know, you never tried it. Yes, I did. I did it for 21 days. Actually, the scale did not budge, but, you know, you definitely have to go with the circadian rhythm. You can't just skip breakfast. So, yeah, that, that was my experience with it. I didn't find it to be helpful, nor I don't know what it did to my hormones. And now that you're saying this, I'm like, oh, my cortisol. But it was interesting. I tried it myself. And being postpartum is not the time to be trying any kind of fasting because I didn't try it early on in my postpartum journey because there's no way I am always hungry I'm making sure that my breast milk is stabilized I don't play about my breast milk and I don't play with dieting or trying to lose weight when I'm postpartum um early on in my postpartum journey because I don't want to risk my breast milk at all because that's that's who I am so I think it was about a month ago that I tried it. And really it, it, it came, what came to me yet again is that when people are trying these kinds of um, diet, it's makes them, it makes them more aware of what they're eating. It makes them more aware of what they are doing that they were not before. And so the benefits that they're noticing is not always because of the fact that they are trying this new latest trend it's because you are becoming more aware of what you're eating you're becoming more aware of what you're doing more so than you were before and and you're most likely eating better most times because i've seen some people who are claiming they're on intermittent fasting and they're like i eat all the fast food between this these hours and 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 I, i i you know get benefits and whatnot but they're not even thinking about physiologically what's going on you know yeah it's similar to those studies that show benefits with weight loss where, you know, was it the weight itself that was lost or was it the habits that, you know, they're moving more, they're eating more vegetables? Was that what led to the benefit? Absolutely. So Melissa, if people want to connect with you, what is the best way that they can do that? Yes. My Instagram is the.hormone.dietitian and my website is thehormonedietitian.com. I also have a cookbook, A Balanced Approach to PCOS, um, and I have a podcast, Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian, and I have had Kim on, so you can go back and listen to that. I will have to have Joanne on as well soon. Thank you, Melissa, for being on. Thank you for giving us all of the information that you gave us about um, PCOS. We learned so much. Um, thank you for sharing the little bit of knowledge that you did, because I know you know so much more. Um, If you are uh, interested in um, getting, I guess, information, more information about PCOS, uh, please be sure to follow up with Melissa. But until next time, guys, take care. Make sure you share, like, and share this with somebody you know so that we can get the word out. Until next time, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you.